the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. It's a tough gig making predictions, especially about the future. But it's that time of year where bold editorial types like to breathe deep the festive spirits, polish their crystal balls, embrace their inner Pythian oracle to offer you, our dear listeners, their predictions for 2023. I am joined as ever by a crack squad of editorial soothsayers, prognosticators and prophets. And after 12 months of rigorously assessing the data, weighing up all of the objective evidence, insider knowledge and let's face it, centuries of combined experience, they are now ready to issue their pronouncements. These fail-safe, dead-cert tips, which come with absolutely no legal standing or guarantees, are our festive audio gift to you, our loyal listeners. This year's podcast features the dulcet tones of Michelle Vizibachman, our markets editor, Richard Clayton, our chief correspondent, Nigel Lowry, our Greece correspondent, Rob Wilmington, our data and fleet specialist, Toma Ranan, our man in the US, Sishan Chen, our Asia editor in Hong Kong, Bridget Daikon, our data queen and Ukraine expert, and of course David Osler, our law and insurance editor. So, in no particular order, I am going to offer you the only outlook you are going to need for 2023 from our in-house team of oracles. And I'm going to start with the high priestess of markets herself, Michelle Vizi Bockman. Now, Michelle... I had a quick listen back to your predictions from last year's podcast, where you said that there might be, possibly, vaguely, a chance that the tanker sector might get back into the black if a series of pretty ambiguous caveats that you put in there were in fact met. So, given your slightly dubious success rate in predicting stuff, can you tell us what your forecast for 2023 is, please? Well, Richard, you will be very surprised to know that I am positive on tankers. And I'm positive for a few reasons, Russia being one of them, because we've seen the recalibration of trade flows already. And we're going to see that amplified even further come February 5, when European sanctions on refined products come in that forbid the import of um, diesel to Europe. And I think that's really going to kick off a diesel sort of, not crisis, but 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 something is going to happen that's going to really significantly change trade flows. And I think a lot of that will be increases of shipments from east of Suez destinations to Europe. Russia shipments, instead of going to Europe, are going to go to, to Latin America. And US shipments that once went to Latin America and West Africa are going to go to Europe. So I think that's all very positive for ton miles. So that's going to be very good for the clean sector, for the crude sector. We've already seen Aframaxes and Suezmaxes doing really well because they're the primary tankers that serve the um, European and Russian market. VLCCs have been the laggards, and that's because of demand contraction in China. However, China's opened up, so that's good for VLCCs as well. So the only other prediction I have is this dark fleet. Um, I think horror forbid we could have an accident. There's going to be increased regulatory pressure to do something about it. And I think more information information is going to come out about who owns these vessels. And, and here's a tip for our listeners is I'm on to you. I know who you are and I'll be finishing my research in the new year. Well, it's not a festive podcast without the festive threat from Michelle Vizy Bachman, but that's that's nice. That's nice. We will inevitably come back uh, to some of those points. But before we get to that, I want to move on to Richard. Um, are you in agreement with Michelle, Richard? I'm in agreement. I know nothing about tankers. I'm going to 
prognosticate about the battle for talent, if that's okay with uh, you. I think there is a battle already underway, and it's going to ramp up in the uh, in the coming year. That's both at sea and on shore, and it's got nothing to do with age. Uh, it, all the clever guys are not all the young guys. It's about skills. Um, we need digital analytical decision-making uh, skills uh, going forwards and this is across all ages, all genders, all ethnicities and all capabilities. The problem we've got in 2023 is that we're competing with all the other sectors, the tech sector, the finance sector, the aviation sector. So somehow or other in the in you know, this coming year, we've got to make ourselves much more attractive so that people want to come into shipping. And from what I'm hearing, um, the answer to this lies in, in, in helping people to make a difference. We've got to show that we want to be cleaner and greener than we have in the past. And we need the new skills and the new talents to come and help us to become cleaner. So I think it's a good news story. There is a battle for talent, but we've got um, you know, real opportunities for the clever and the smart people. Excellent. Um, speaking of clever and smart people uh, and the need to make shipping sexy again to attract uh, a, a new uh, era of talent. Nigel, um, wh what are you going to do to make shipping sexy in 2023? <laughs> That's a tough one. Um, shipping's always been sexy down here in, uh, in Greece. Don't you know? It's only in the northern climes that... Uh, you, you have a sort of po-faced insistence on things like uh, sustainability and safety, safety, scorecards, you know, <laughs> services, you know, here, you know, it's the, it's the land of the sort of sexy tycoons, you know, Onassis provided the, the template and everyone else has just sort of fitted into that absolutely fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, in the land of the sexy tycoons, what is your prediction yeah. for 2023? Well, I, <laughs> I, I'm not a, um, I'm, I'm, I'm not very kind of good on the Pythian uh, stakes, but uh, you know, I would start off uh, being where I am. By, uh, it'll come as no surprise uh, for you to hear that I'm predicting that Greeks will remain at the forefront of the ship owning. Uh, market uh, in 2023, but despite all the turbulence, despite all the challenges, all the demands, uh, they've proved it time and time again, they will uh, step up to the challenge, um, whether it's through new buildings or through uh, dominating the sale and purchase market for secondhand resales, they will continue to uh, roll on, renewing their fleet, um, making uh, acquisitions that improve the efficiency uh, in terms of emissions of the of the vessels, um, and they will largely step up and remain the world's largest single uh, entity in terms of uh, ship owning and operating. Uh, that's not going to change uh, for a good while, I think. Um, I think, uh, like uh, some of my colleagues, you know, I, I would pinpoint the tanker market as, um, you know, set for a, 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 an absolutely rambunctious year. Uh, I think one of my colleagues, was it Michelle, uh, who predicted 12 months ago that that was going to happen? But 
Uh, I think it's got, got legs in it and it's going to go on for a while yet. And for people like the Greeks, the, the sort of consummate market players that are not necessarily dedicated to one niche of the market, you can look to perhaps uh, see some of those profits from tankers uh, rolled over into opportunistic purchases of other types of tonnage uh, in the course of the year that are not doing so well. So, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, a few months down the road, you see some of the people who are in tankers also perhaps picking up some relatively cheap container ships that are undoubtedly going to be on the market in 2023. Um, beyond that, not, not all that much to say. I would say um, one thing that has been on my, in, in, the, in my peripheral vision, if you like, for some time, uh, is salvage and also PNI, and I think PNI uh, is a sector that is well worth uh, keeping an eye on. It's been under increasing pressure, and I was very interested in the recent um, standoff for uh, for at least a few days between clubs and Turkey in terms of guarantees uh, for for vessels to pass through the Turkish Straits, because. You know, lurking in the background there, there is the question of exactly what kind of insurance, if indeed it is insurance, the PNI clubs provide. And um, I think it's an interesting one worth keeping our eyes on. Well, we will get the expert in to give us a view on that slightly later on in the podcast, Mr. David Osler, our insurance uh, editor. Um, and as for your prediction that sooner or later, Michelle will be writing her prediction. Now, it's one of the marvellous things about uh, making predictions of a cyclical market in shipping. It, Michelle keeps on predicting something sooner or later. She will be right. So, Oh, now you know. you're making me sound like Robert Bugby. That's not true. I mean, I, I although I did have a, um, as a chief executive tell me that he thought that 2023 was going to be fine and 2024 would be fine. And he said the cycle's over. So that's an interesting way of looking at things. Indeed, indeed. Um, Rob, can we come to you next? Um, yes. You've been looking at a lot of the fleet trends this year. Mm-hmm. What predictions have you got for us for 2023? So I think if we look at the, the shipbuilding side, it should, in theory, if you look at the, the full order books, be a, a vintage year for 2023 and perhaps 2024. Um, we've seen um, a huge amount of ordering in the past two years, particularly on the container ship side um, and the gas tanker side. We've also seen a surge in, in vehicle carriers. Um, and there are more um, gas tankers and there's more container ships orders in the pipeline from big owners like Evergreen um, and uh, Ocean Network Express. You've also got Valenius Wilhelmsen expected to place a big order soon for car carriers if they can find a yard to build them. So I think with the full order books, I think some ship owners that are going to want to order ships not too far off into the future in terms of delivery dates, they're going to struggle. So um, one thing I was going to to mention, um, which Michelle and Nigel were talking about, was the tanker sector. So at the moment, the tanker order book is tiny, you know, compared to if you look at the global order book, it's only around about 7% of the entire global shipbuilding order book. So my suggestion is that we will see a big surge in new orders um, for tankers next year, both in um, crude and products. Um, and, but the only issue will be 
which yards are going to build them. I think in the Chinese shipyards are probably going to be more open to building these ships than the Koreans, which are very much at the moment geared towards container ships and gas tankers. Um, however, having said that, if you look at what's happening in the container ship sector, there's lots of concerns about overcapacity, which might see some of the big owners try to push back delivery dates of their large mega max box ships a bit further down the line so that might free up a bit of slot capacity for for tank orders um not sure if michelle agrees with me on that subject about the the need for more tankers but please feel well, free to back me up <clears throat> well well i mean tankers are in the middle of a massive transition i think post 2025 when the next downturn comes we're going to be seeing different demands for energy and and contraction in in demand maybe for crude and and gasoline and some of those products sort of accelerating from developed countries to to, to developing countries but i digress rob we've heard about the the ships that are coming in but what about the ships that are leaving the fleet are you uh, what's your what's your view in terms of demolition yeah so this year um there's been so little demolition i think it's the lowest levels in in at least 10 years and as a consequence of some of the issues going on the market for next year, it's pretty safe to say there's going to be a big surge in demolition, particularly from the container shipping side, potentially um, from other liner shipping sectors. Um, we've also got these fleets that have very sort of high age profiles in, in certain sectors like multi-purpose. So I think for that reason, and with of course the CII reg starting to kick in, it's pretty certain that the, the scrapping yards next year are going to be a lot busier than this year, um, even though there are issues around things like the European um, Union um, approved yards um, and the fact that ship owners don't at the moment want to be particularly associated with, with scrapping of ships. So, um, but I think owners are going to have to face up to that fact um, because the time will come soon when the demolition market is going to start kicking off because of the, particularly on the liner side with the um, container ship overcapacity. Well, I am very aware that so far we've uh, relied on the very Eurocentric uh, predictions of a bunch of negative Nellies, frankly. Um, I want to uh, name drop hideously and point out that when I was interviewing Soren Skoo just last week, uh, he mentioned to me that uh, Europe is very negative at the moment for obvious reasons with the war, uh, the energy issues that it faces and the fact that we don't see an off-ramp from the current UK crisis. But if you travel more widely, as he does, the prospects for 2023 are looking up uh, when you are in India, when you are in Africa. There is a far more positive view of the demographics of growth, as he put it. So I want to leave the old country behind and uh, go over the Atlantic and uh, get a view from Toma, our US optimist. Um, Toma, come on. Can you cheer these guys up a little bit and give us a slightly more positive view of uh, 2023? That's true. I'm sorry. I think I might have to disappoint you on that one. I'm not uh, overly optimistic. I think going into 2023, there's, uh, there's some, it's definitely some headwinds that I'm looking out for. We'll start with, I think the obvious one is the ILW PMA negotiations. You know, Gene Sirocco recently said that he thinks it's going to happen early next year. But, you know, he, he needs to be an optimist. I think both the unions and I think the situation is very different than what it was 
when the contract concluded in July 2019, the carriers are in a different position. Uh, you know, looking ahead, the volumes are much lower. It, it, it's not the the doom that it would have been, you know, in the peak of the congestion in 2019. If the, in uh, sorry, in uh, July, if there was a strike, um, so I think the conditions are very different, and maybe the carriers won't be as generous. Um, so I think that's definitely one to keep an eye on. There's also another union that's sort of thrown in the mix, a smaller union, but they're involved with all these litigation with the National Relations Board. So definitely keeping an eye on that. I would also say that on the sanctions front, I don't think there's going to be any let off um, from the US. I think they they like this form of uh, economic warfare, and I think that's they're going to they're going to keep at it. There's also something to be looked at is where U.S. consumer demand and where inflation are going, which is going to play a big part in, uh, you know, we've seen a real slump in imports. I think volumes for this year are now expected to be lower than 2021, which I mean, 2021 is still a crazy year by all accounts. And 2022 is still going to be a very good one, but volumes will subside in the next, significantly in the next few months. Um, and another big unknown here is what happens in China. So at this point, it's an opportune moment to bring in our China expert, Sishen Chen, our Asia editor. Uh, a brief note on the sound quality on this bit. Uh, Sishen was walking between important editorial missions in China as he was recording this. So apologies for the background noise. Well, I, I guess, you know, the only thing that I want to, uh, the only point that I want to make is, uh, you know, the COVID situation in China is obviously... Uh, I think the largest uh, var- uh, variable uh, 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 moving into next year, right? I mean, currently uh, Beijing seems to be uh, taking on the re- reopening policy, uh, but uh, you know there are a lot of questions on whether you know uh, China might return to uh, its previous lockdown policies uh, if you know the fatality uh, among the country's population uh, increase sharply. I mean, there are anecdotal evidence uh, on Chinese social media about sort of rising um, severe cases among the older people. So, uh, you know, it seems that you can't rule out that that possibility. But anyway, uh, there are still possibilities that, uh, you know, China might go back to the lockdowns. Um, uh, And uh, I think from a uh, macro perspective, uh, of course, that will have huge impact on the uh, dry bulk and the tanker markets, because uh, uh, you know China is the uh, one of the largest sources for cargo demand uh, in those sectors. Uh, you know, uh, I think uh, I think for now, uh, you know, uh, quite a few brokers and analysts now are expecting a China bounce back to benefit you know the tanker market as well as the the dry bulk market. Uh, next year, but you know, if China um, returns to uh, the lockdown policies, even to a certain you know extent, uh, will uh, sort of uh, uh, put a damper on the uh, market prospects. Uh, but that, that's just only for the for the, for the for the macro level. I think for the micro level, then if you look at the domestic uh, shipping sectors in China, then various of comp- various companies will be affected. You know, if you look at those leasing companies, uh, Chinese leasing companies, 
uh, you know, uh, which are under huge, you know, anti-corruption uh, uh, pressure. They are keen to, you know, uh, travel abroad uh, to meet their foreign clients, uh, trying to uh, regain some of the ground lost. And, uh, uh, you know, I think they, 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 they are among the ones who are uh, really, really uh, hoping you know that the Chinese border can be can be open, uh, and uh, then you have to look at uh, you know the uh, the domestic uh, shipbuilding sectors and the port sectors as well. Um, obviously, you know the, the, the Chinese shipyards are already under pressure of uh, you know on-time delivery uh, due to the previous lockdowns, um, and they certainly don't want you know. Uh, more lockdowns, uh, which will cause them, uh, you know, uh, 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 you know, problems uh, of uh, uh, delivering the new buildings. Uh, but 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 even now, um, I mean, with the sharp uh, surge in new cases, I mean, there are concerns whether you know you 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 would have enough workforce, you know, to 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 operate uh, at the yards. Uh, I mean, uh, at least I think for uh, a couple of weeks, you know, for one one or two months time, you know, if you have a sudden sort of outbreak among the yard areas, then, you know, a lot of the construction work will be suspended. So uh, this would add, a, you know, more pressure uh, to, to the shipyards when it comes to their uh, delivery schedule. Uh, the same problem is perhaps, you know, uh, uh, you know, looming large at the yards, uh, oh, sorry, at, at the Chinese ports as well. I mean, um, you, you can't stop but wonder, you know, whether the port workers there uh, will be affected uh, and whether, you know, uh, they can continue, uh, you know, to work as normal, uh, which might uh, affect the, uh, the, the, the cargo handling efficiency at the berths. Uh, I, I've heard that you know uh, sort of infections have already started to you know spread uh, at some uh, Chinese ports. Uh, for now, I think they've managed to um, uh, you know keep the work because you know uh, they, they've been having this you know uh, uh, sort of uh, working uh, roster system where they have you know three to four shifts. Uh, uh, if, if one shift get COVID, then the next shift will, will, will uh, you know, replace them. But uh, it, it's, it's, it's a question, it's a matter of time, you know, uh, when, uh, you know, uh, most of the workers will be affected and uh, uh, then we'll start to hit their, uh, you know, efficiency. So I guess uh, these are the more sort of imminent uh, concerns that we are having uh, in the industry. Michelle, one thing I did want to get to was the regulatory risk that is built into next year. Now, we've had MEPC 79, uh, the Marine Environment Protection Committee at the IMO. This was a sort of halfway house. This was the bit before the real fun starts next year. In the run up to MEPC 80, the IMO is effectively revising its midterm strategy. Now, the details of that is going to define the regulatory landscape for shipping for a long time to come, because ultimately we need to get pretty close to a zero ambition in terms of emissions for the industry. And the details that the IMO agrees around that 
is going to determine things like the effectiveness of all of the emissions regulations that are, are waiting in the wings or that are already underway, like CII, which is, of course, pretty controversial in its own right. So given that you were bedded down in the MEPC last week, uh, looking at what everybody was up to, what's your prediction in terms of how close we are going to get to zero next year? Well, there's two strands to that question, really, because the other side of this is that the European Union has actually implemented or is in the process of implementing some guides on emissions trading to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and also some global fuel standards to help accelerate the transition to cleaner energy fuels, which, of course, is way ahead than what the International Maritime Organization is looking to do. So at MEPC 79, uh, there was opposition from about 10 of the 175 member countries to doing anything to that, than changing the existing goals, which don't meet the Paris Agreement um, standards and are for only a 50% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. Uh, the IMO wants to transition that to either net zero or zero emissions by 2050, and they have to decide how to do that really by next July. They were not very close to finding any agreement. They got a draft text ready. They haven't affixed any numbers to that draft text and that's gonna be thrashed out in seven months. And I think it's gonna be ugly. Mm, I tend to agree. If you want my prediction, they're not going to get anything close to what people are wanting in terms of a <clears> 1.5 <throat> alignment. Now, the consequences of that, as far as I'm concerned, is that we accelerate what is already appearing as in front of our eyes in, in some respects, a tiered industry approach. As Michelle's already pointed out, the Europeans have already gone above and beyond. Now, arguably, they've laid down the gauntlet, set the standard for everybody else to follow, but I don't think they will. I don't think the IMO has a hope in hell of getting close to what the EU has just imposed on shipping. The consequence of that is you get a fragmented regulatory landscape, you get a fragmented industry as a result and you will have those at the top of the industry going above and beyond that are 1.5 aligned be it through the sea cargo charter the poseidon principles or any of the uh, global maritime forum um, programs that are pushing the blue chip end of the industry ahead of everybody else but i don't think that will be enough to bring everybody else along i don't think there is that gravitational pull that they think there is and I consequently agree. what you then have is an industry that is going above standard and an industry that is at best hitting compliance. And there are commercial consequences for that, not least for the fact that the restrictions in terms of availability of financing, it won't kick in next year, but it will start kicking in beyond 2026. And the consequences well, of that, I think, are huge. Well, it depends. China was the biggest um, opposer of any change at MEPC 79. So they and, you know, they can finance a considerable amount of, of new buildings. So I, I actually see that there'll be a complete breakdown between, you know, Asian based shipping and European based shipping. And China will, will have even more power beyond its shipbuilding power to um, control the industry via the, the the financing of new builds that that don't meet EU or or even a, a much lower IMO standard. Mm. And then of course we have the prospect of a new Secretary General within the IMO. Um, how powerful do you think the Secretary General is going to be when we choose a new one? Well that's a that's a good question. I don't think they're going to have that much power. I'm already saying that the 
power, most powerful voting blocks are those that are aligned with either net zero or no change um, ambitions. And this time, I think the IMO Secretary General is going to have to come from an African country or a Middle East country or an Asian country, uh, sorry, not an Asian country, Middle East or Africa. And most of those countries, barring, of course, Liberia, don't have those really strong ambitions. I'm going to be controversial and say it doesn't matter. I don't think the Secretary General has enough power to actually uh, go beyond the politics that are not going to get decided within Albert Embankment. And therefore, I don't think it really matters who the Secretary General is next year. I do think, however, that the makeup of the power base within the intersessional working groups is where you are going to see some progress. And that is probably where we want to be looking at about changes next year. Well, let's talk about the Green Corridor then, Bridget. You've been covering this all year. Uh, it, has been quite a remarkable story in some respects. Politically speaking, the fact that it ever got off the ground was remarkable. The fact that it has managed to see a significant amount of grain, you know, shipped from Ukraine means it has been a success, at least in basic terms. But behind the scenes, it has been a political struggle from start to finish. What do you think is going to happen with the corridor uh, in, into next year? I think I actually don't expect much progress to happen um, into next year. I agree that it's it's been a success just getting it going, but I'm not seeing any, I'm not expecting any more progress on opening Ukraine's ports. Um, I did think a couple months ago when all the negotiations were going on that that was a, a possibility, but um, it seems that it's just not moving. And I think the Russians have far too much control in the negotiations and they're holding the ports hostage and they're exercising much, yeah, much too much control to, to get anything tangible changed. Um, and I don't think there's an appetite right now to take a harder line against them, um, meaning that the, the potential is always kind of capped um, and the JCC will continue to struggle to, to get its job done and shippers will continue to be frustrated and the uncertainty of it being renewed every 120 days um, just means that, yeah, it'll never get fully up and running to, to maximise the output. The industry's come to terms with some of that and uncertainty seems to be the only certainty we can uh, hope for. <laughs> Do you think there is any kind of stability now within the market albeit with the caveat that you just said that we're probably not going to see any major development uh, in terms of the actual uh, corridor itself. I mean, outside of the corridor, do you think there's any sort of hope of stability? I think we've seen some uh, discussions about uh, trying to expand the amount of cargo that's coming out of other, uh, you know, smaller areas. What, what, what have you? What can you see on the agenda for next year? Um, I think stability in the sense that we do see ship owners who are willing to go and pick up the grain. We do see ships repeating their journeys. So we know people are willing to go and get the grain so that the grain corridor will continue to act as such. Um, the Danube River ports, I think, will continue to be a really important um, source of activity. Obviously, there's no limitation on what can leave those ports. So they're quite helpful in facilitating trade and moving things to other countries as well that can then be exported. But um, I think there is a level of stability. I just think that to reach the full potential of the export hubs, you need to, to take Russia out of the equation. 
And last but by no means least, I could not finish an annual Outlook podcast without coming to our resident insurance expert, David Osler, for a quick view in terms of what is going to happen next year in the sexy world of PNI. Dave, what's your forecast? Well, marine insurance, uh, making predictions in marine insurance is not necessarily a job for Mystic Meg. I can already tell you with complete confidence what the rises will be for every international group P&I club come the renewal season, uh, which draws to a close on February the 20th. Um, Nine of the 13 clubs have gone for a 10% rise. they are justifying this with reference to the problems they're having at the moment with declining investment returns and also uh, inflation generally and uh, you know, cost inflation as well. Um, that said, they've had a very benign year on the pool claims front so far, just two claims. Um, so... Unless there are any serious casualties in the next few weeks, and I guess there's always a couple this time of year, that will be that. Um, Hull Machinery Underwriters are working towards the so-called 1-1 or 1st of January renewals. Um, They are also factoring in inflation as justification for harder rates. rising reinsurance costs as well. Um, That said, there is increased capacity in the market with new carriers coming on stream. So that's mitigating some of the pressure. Finally, that leaves war risk insurance, which will be incredibly volatile. It will all depend on the outcome in the battlefield in Ukraine, I guess. Yeah, uh, rates can be a fraction of a percentage point or as high as five or ten, depending on how it's going. The big nightmare here is the first anniversary date of the invasion, which comes up on 24th of February. Um, At that point, ships that have been stuck alongside a year will be able to claim constructive total losses. So we're looking at a big payout there. We only hope that that can be averted, I guess. Well, that is where we are going to leave the podcast this week. And indeed, where we are going to leave the podcast for this year. This is the last podcast we're going to be producing in 2022. It only remains for me to say thank you to everybody who's contributed to this audio extravaganza over the last 12 months. Your input is deeply appreciated. Thank you also, everybody, for listening. And I wish everybody a very happy Christmas and a very prosperous 2023 when they eventually get there.